Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 15. And let's read through together. Just listen as I read. 1 through 20 of Matthew 15. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void or nullified the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the disciples, the people to him, and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Father, thank you for your word. It does not wither. It does not fade like the grass. But it stands forever. And may your words be clear to your church that you love so dearly. In Christ's name, amen. Each step in Jesus's ministry leads to another confrontation with the religious leaders. After healing many in the land of Gennesaret, a band of Pharisees and scribes arrived from Jerusalem. Now, they weren't passing through the area, but they purposefully made a 90-mile journey from Jerusalem to specifically deal with a problem called Jesus. They came to this remote area in Gennesaret, not a town, not a city or a village. They came to confront him for destroying their oral traditions, and they came with an evident hostility. 
And in their voices, you can hear that hostility when they question him. Why do your disciples not wash their hands before they eat? They, that they would choose to come. Sorry, it's hard to read my notes in the dark. <laughs> now that they would choose to come so far, 90 miles from Jerusalem, in order to ask this question really does reveal the measure of their hostility towards Jesus, the hostility they had for him. Why does Matthew, because prior to this we see a lot of, of healing going on, and in the ensuing chapters we'll see more healing going on. In fact, the rest of this chapter we'll see more healing and miracles going on. Why does Matthew in place this interaction here between the chapters on miracles and healing? Throughout Matthew's gospel, we've seen time and again Jesus' deep concern for people's physical well-being. But, but Matthew reveals even a deeper concern Jesus has for people. Their spiritual well-being. For generations, these people have been spiritually led astray by these scribes and Pharisees, the very people that should be helping them. And so he takes this opportunity to bring about change. Matthew places this story here to emphasize that physical life, although important, is not what is the priority to Jesus. A healthy body and good food and clean hands mean nothing if they lead to judgment and to hell. So in this story, Jesus addresses three groups of people. The religious leaders, he addresses the crowd, and he addresses his disciples. And with each group, he tells them the same thing. He doesn't change the message. He gives them each the same message. And the message is this. It's not unclean hands. That's your problem. It's not unclean hands. That is your problem. Each group will hear this same message, but they will hear for different reasons. For the Pharisees, it's a rebuke. For the crowd, it's a lesson. And for his disciples, it's an explanation and a warning. Let's look at the first, the Pharisees' rebuke. In 15, 1 through 9, the Pharisees and scribes come to Jesus. And why do, they, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he rebukes them and he answers them. He doesn't answer their question as they want it. He answers their question with his own question. Why? Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? After finding Jesus and the Pharisees getting right to the point, they're, they're asking, what's up with your disciples? They're the students that you teach. They follow your example. And they don't wash their hands. What are you, what are you teaching them? You understand for the Pharisees, it was unthinkable that Jesus would dismiss their traditions. The washing of hands before eating was not a matter of personal hygiene. It wasn't your mom saying, you have to wash your hands before dinner. Or your wife 
even at 67, still asking, did you wash your hands before dinner? <laughs> yes, dear. <laughs> it wasn't for personal hygiene, but the removal of what they would call ceremonial defilement. The Pharisees came from a long line of teachers and interpreters of the law. And they, they tried to make the law in a good way. They tried to make the law easily understandable and relevant to everyone. And when the Jewish people were in exile, when they were in captivity, there was no temple. So the Old Testament rules and regulations for sacrifices and sin offerings became irrelevant. They weren't really practice much anymore. So to make these sacrificial laws relevant and in order to keep pure before the Lord, these scribes and Pharisees came up with oral traditions to maintain what they considered was purity. Over time, though, these traditions began to abuse or ignore the very scriptures themselves, even, even taking on an authority above God's commands, as we see here in 15, 1 through 9. For God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles your father or mother must surely die. But you say, and there we go, you say. There's the, there's the Pharisees and scribes, oral tradition taking precedent authority over God's commands. If anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. In Exodus 30, 17 through 21, the law required priests to wash their hands and wash their feet before they entered into the, the tabernacle, to the holy place. The Pharisees went on to expand this law beyond its original intent. They soon required everyone to live according to the standard of the priests their new tradition, and even going so far as to explaining exactly how you were supposed to wash your hands. You could not just dip your hands in water. You had to pour water. It had to be moving because it wouldn't be defiled that way. And you had to wash all the way up to at least your wrists or you were still unclean. The Pharisees had determined that almost everything the hands touched was unclean. And if unclean hands touched food, that too became unclean. And then when it was eaten, it made the whole person unclean. Now, now everyone needed to follow these pharisaical strict traditions. And Jesus' disciples do no such thing. Their view is, there's food, let's eat it. Jesus does not defend their eating practices, but instead he tells this band of religious hypocrites that their traditions, although intended originally to help people keep the law, actually break the law of God. Now, Jesus cares about holiness, 
but he will not follow misguided traditions, some which abuse the law of God. Their breaking of the fifth commandment here in this passage, honor your father and mother in favor of their traditions, is a perfect example. Now in Mark's gospel, in his same account of this experience, he uses the word Corban, C-O-R-B-A-N, to describe how the Pharisees justify this abuse. The word Corban was a Hebrew word that meant vow. It meant to dedicate specifically money to the Lord. So a Pharisee would dedicate money to the Lord to support the temple. Not a bad thing. Actually, a a good thing until the Pharisees began to use it as an excuse not to care for their parents at all when they were aging. They would just say, nope, it's Corbin. It's dedicated to the Lord. Sorry, Dad. Sorry, Mom. Can't give you anything. Eat beans for dinner. Jesus calls them hypocrites. He says, you hypocrites for taking your traditions and nullifying God's command to honor your parents. Isaiah speaks loudly to this. This people honors me with their lips, Jesus quotes, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. These hypocrites. Jesus calls them hypocrites and he rebukes them with what Isaiah says. And he's really telling them, Isaiah might have prophesied this hundreds of years before, but in this passage, he was thinking about you. Now imagine how that made a Pharisee feel. He confronts them by asking why they, the very teachers of the law, transgress God's command with their tradition. Their hands are not the problem, he tells them, but the rules and regulations which have taken precedent and authority over God's law. Their legalistic commitment to their own traditions causes them to violate the very truths they were tasked to teach and obey. And what they fail to see in their blindness is that their hands are not the problem, but their hearts. And that's the rebuke Jesus gives them. He rebukes these Pharisees. Your problem is not your hands. It's not the food that you eat. It's what's in your heart. And now he moves on to the crowd. Verse 10, and he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Jesus turns away from the Pharisees to speak to the crowd in in order to protect them from these corrupt men that have been their teachers for so long. He He had a lesson for them. No, no doubt they were listening in as Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. And no doubt now the Pharisees are listening to the crowd. 
And he tells the crowd the same thing he tells the Pharisees. Your hands are not the problem. The food you eat is not the problem. It's your heart that's the problem. And he tells a parable in 1511. And the parable is, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. It's not what you make or what you eat that makes you unclean. It's your heart. Food is not your problem. Unwashed hands are not your problem. And don't fall into the trap that the Pharisees have laid out for you. The point Jesus is making here to this crowd is that evil hearts are the real problem. And they cannot be cleansed by religious activity and religious traditions. Showing up every Sunday at church does not cleanse your heart. And any other activity you can imagine that goes along with following after Christ, that is not what cleanses your heart. The problem is what's deep inside of you. In Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now that's what the Pharisees ignored. They ignored the scriptures in place of their own traditions. They tried to rectify the problem of sin and impurity through religious activity. But no rules could change their heart. And Jesus is letting this crowd know what they've been teaching you. It's not your hands or the food you eat. That's the problem. It's what's in your heart. And Jesus came to inaugurate his kingdom, proclaiming the gospel and setting people free from the destruction of their sin by opening their eyes to what true faith is. And he dismantles the religious rules and legalistic demands of the Pharisees and opened the eyes of the crowd to the, to the forgiving and transforming grace of God, which is only found in him. That's his story. That's why Jesus came. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He made it clear in 1510, it's not the environment that's your problem. It's not traffic that tempts my impatience. It's not children that make you angry. It's not being financially troubled that makes you greedy. It's not what women inappropriately can wear that makes men lust. It's not somebody who has hurt you that makes you bitter. It's not somebody who has forgotten you that makes you resentful. It's your heart. 
That's what Jesus is telling the crowd. It's what's inside of you. It's your, not your hands and not the food. That's your problem. It's your heart. And so he, tells, he rebukes the Pharisees. He instructs the crowd. And he closes with his disciples. He gives the disciples a warning and an explanation in verses 12 through 20. Then the disciples came and said to him. Now in Mark's account, Jesus pulls the disciples away into a house. And so they are by themselves. This is a private conversation with Jesus that the disciples are having. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you not know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Of course he did. He just destroyed their entire social and religious reputation and standing. They're they're not the spiritual guides you think they are, he tells them. Just the opposite. They do not uphold God's law, but they abuse God's law. And because they do, they are not a part of God's planting. Do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are not a part of God's planting. They don't belong in his kingdom, is what Jesus is communicating. And you, you must have nothing to do with them. Leave them alone. No wonder the Pharisees are offended. And no wonder they want to put him to death. They want to destroy him. And not surprisingly, we go on to read, Peter comes to Jesus and said, Explain the parable to us. It's not surprising the disciples don't understand the parable. They're a bit dull of hearing. But be careful. We can be dull of hearing. Listen, week in and week out, you hear God's word. You hear it sung. You read it. You hear it preached. But we can be dull to it. We can walk away from a Sunday message feeling convicted or feeling challenged or maybe even a bit offended. But the real question is asked, what's changed? How much of Sunday's message is remembered four days later. How about how much of Sunday's message is remembered four hours later? James 1, James warns us, do not only be hearers of the word, but be doers. Don't, don't, don't be like the person who looks in a mirror and forgets what he sees the moment he walks away. And in 15 17, Jesus, in his mercy and patience, responds to them with, a, with some admonishment. And he said, are you still without understanding? And in the, actually the original Greek, it is, are you still so dull? Well, kind of. 
And he goes on, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. Jesus explains the real meaning of the parable. He explains the real problem. And just like he, to- he rebuked the Pharisees, and just like he instructed the crowds, he tells them, it's not your hands or the food you eat that are the problem. It's your heart. It's your heart. And listen, as contemporary Christians reading this, don't think that this is just something in the past. Listen, you're sitting here today. It's your heart's. We have wonderfully been freed from the, the power of sin. We have been freed from the penalty of sin. But we still daily battle remaining sin. The presence of sin still exists in our lives. And these passages right here, what comes out of the heart, still what comes out of us, still reveals who we are. It's not the food you put in that's the problem, but the evil that's always been in your heart. And what what a list of evil it is. This is not the only list. Mark's list is even more expansive. He goes on evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, lying, slander, coveting. I just don't have enough. I want more. Wickedness. Deceit, sensuality, slander, envy, pride, and foolishness. It's what's in our hearts. And Jesus came. Jesus came. Jesus came to change our hearts. He came to set us free from the power of sin. He came to set us free from the penalty of sin. And through the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit. He is continually helping us be free from the presence of remaining sin. That's who Christ is. This list in Matthew 15 and Mark 7 is what we've inherited from Adam who is created in God's image and yet that image was marred by his sin. All all that Adam was created to be was corrupted and that corruption is transferred to all of us. This is, a, this is a sobering and stunning account in Genesis 5. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man And they, when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image. God creates us in his image. He created Adam in his image, in in perfection, with no sin. Now Adam fathers a son, and that son is in Adam's image. Still retaining the image of God, but now that image has been marred, and he carries Adam's marred image. Adam's sin has been passed down to us all. It's not your hands that are the problem. It's your heart. Listen, your, your inner self, my inner self, is polluted and plagued by sin. Corruption has permeated our hearts and our minds. We're darkened by our sin. Our emotions 
are defiled by sin. Our wills are dominated by sin. That's the reality apart from Christ. And there's only one solution, and that is grace, the amazing grace of God offered to us in Christ, in his death and his resurrection. When the Bible talks about the heart, though, it's not talking about this physical organ inside our body. It's, it's a metaphor for what controls our lives. The heart is what controls your thoughts and your desires and your emotions and your decisions and your attitudes and your intentions. It's not the circumstances around you that tell you what's in your heart. It's the circumstances around you that reveal what is in your heart. The heart is who we truly are on the inside before God who knows all things. Now, the Pharisees made religion external, but God has always looked on the inside at the heart. And the question today is, who are you really on the inside? That's the question Jesus is posing. That's the point of his parable. Listen, if a video were to be made of your thoughts and desires and motives at this moment or sometime during the week, and they were shown on a screen behind me, what would we see? What would be seen is who you really are. And that's what God sees. And apart from Christ, the heart is wicked and deceitful and evil. Jeremiah tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Listen, as a parent, you are so aware that you never had to teach your children how to sin. They know very well how to do so from the beginning. The insanity of sin is deep within their little hearts. Jesus, Jesus is saying, what we eat is not the problem. The clean and unclean foods that we read about in Leviticus 11 are not about good food versus bad food. God gave these Levitical laws to teach Israel and us an object lesson between sin and holiness. It's just food. And thank God Jesus said all foods are clean. Because lobster was not in the list in Leviticus. Food has no impact on the soul. Well, it does make me happy, but it does, it's, it's what's in our hearts that impacts our soul. We can't blame our environment. You can't blame politicians. You can't blame other drivers. You can't blame other people, the internet or anything else. We, we disobey God's commands from within, not circumstances from without. When mom, when, when I was told, don't eat the cookies in the cookie jar. That's mom's command. Now the cookies being in the jar are not the problem. If I eat the cookies, it doesn't mean the cookies are bad. It means that I'm bad for disobeying mom. The cookies are still good. Jesus is making this point. The entire Levitical system of sacrifice and separation and cleanliness no longer is necessary because God has come in Christ to be the perfect sacrifice, the righteous sacrifice once for all. It's not what you eat. It's not what you touch. It's what's inside of you. 
And then the Sermon on the Mount, if you remember when we talked through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus repeatedly contrasts with the, the internal, what's in the heart, with what we do on the outside. And unlike the Pharisees' outward displays of self-righteousness, no, it's the pure in heart that see God. It's those who mourn their sin that see God. It's those who are poor in spirit that see God. And trying to live a life obedient to man-made rules and traditions, to your own legalistic approaches to God. Well, if I, if I don't pray enough in the morning, it's no wonder I had a bad day. No. No. Trying to live a life obedient to man-made rules and tradition is a yoke and a burden that is unbearable. And Jesus offers a different life. A life where his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And what makes this so attractive is the burden and yoke that Jesus frees us from is, is the power of sin and the power of death. And the yoke and burden he gives us is grace. United with him, empowered by him through the Holy Spirit. Our hands are not the problem, it's our heart, which is impossible for us to change, but not impossible for God. So it's not our, it's not our hands that are the problem, it's our heart, but there's hope. The hope is Christ. The hope is the incarnate God. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel spoke, spoke and said... Speaking of God, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you new, a new heart, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. Jesus has done that. The Pharisees tried to nullify God's word, but they could not nullify Christ. Scorning him and reviling him and beating him and nail him to a cross and finally putting him to death for our sin could not silence him. His death broke the yoke of sin's slavery, Satan's rule, and death's ultimate finality. The word made flesh came to save us. He shed his blood to pay for our sins to do that. And he changed us. If any man is in Christ, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he's a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. And now as believers, we are being continually transformed by the word of God through the work of the Holy Spirit who renews our hearts and renews our minds. Listen, human nature needs restraining. It's why God gave his law. And it's why we have a conscience. But neither has proven to be enough. Sin needs more than restraint. It needs a savior. And Matthew's gospel, as well as Mark and Luke and John's, are about the lengths God has gone to redeem sinners. The gospel, brothers and sisters, it not only offers forgiveness of sin, but gives us the power to kill sin before it kills us. It gives us power to become like Christ as we renew our hearts and our minds through his word. So what's our application? First, this is a word to all of us. This is a warning to all of us. And where appropriate, it could be a rebuke to some of us. 
We must be careful not to let our thinking drift to the way the, Thera- the Pharisees thought that, that my, my spirituality is, is based in what I do, not who I am. We can't seek our identity in an outward appearance. Our identity is in Christ and his saving grace. We, 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 are, we are to be changed from the inside out. Proverbs 4.23 tells us, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And how do we guard? We guard it through the word of God. It's why, it's why you were here. To hear the preached word. It's why you read God's word. It's why we read God's word. It's why we make a, a, the highest value of God's word. It's what transforms us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we must be in this church men and women and children of the word of God. Second, just a word to parents. Your children's behavior, yes, it's important, but of much greater importance is your children's sinful hearts. When, when you struggle with their sin, just remember where it came from. It was passed down to them by you. Just like Adam passed down his sin to all of us. And it's why we and they so desperately need Christ. They, they need the gospel just as we do. So share Christ with them. Show Christ to them. And shepherd them like Christ for their well-being. All the while trusting in God's sovereign plan for their life. Brothers and sisters, let us be men and women of the word here at Grace Church. John's gospel, he says, he's quoting Jesus. Jesus says, sanctify them, Lord, in your truth. Your word is truth. And Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, close with this. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The problem is not what's happening outside of us. The problem is what's going on inside of us. And the word of God, given by the Father who loves us, and the Son who died for us, and the Spirit who works in us will do that work. We'll do that work as we are men and women of the Word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the honesty of your Word that speaks clearly to who we are and what we need and what you have provided on our behalf. Lord, may your word be planted in every heart here this morning. May it take root and may it grow that the intentions of every heart here are to cry out, holy is our God and to seek to kill sin rather than be a slave of it. Oh God, glorify your name in this church, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.